Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who, when his parents visit, ask them if they want to come to church with me instead of the other way around. Wow. I <laughs> have never talked to my parents about whether or not we should go to church on a trip. I guess that's a lie. I have been to a lot of churches with my parents, but they've all been historical churches and we've been there as tourists. Sure. That would be neat. Yeah. I The best one, I think, was we were in, my mom and I were in Venice and we were at, what's the big one in Venice? The Basilica? Is that St. Mark's? I don't I know. don't There's know off the top of my head. The one in the plaza that you see in all of the movies that is Venice and uh, the inside of it is like gold mosaic as far as the eye can see it's super pretty and we were there when the choir sings like it wasn't like a service i don't think it was just like the choir was there singing and so it was really magical being in there where it was like choir and church and the whole bit so that's the closest my parents and i get to (laughs) going to uh church together when we're on vacation that works i also want to clarify because my mom does listen uh, my parents do go to church. I wasn't, like, dragging them. I was just excited th- to show them my church. <laughs> How did they like it? Uh, I think they liked it. It was a fun experience for everyone because uh, my parents go to a Catholic church and I go to an Episcopalian church. Yeah. And I have no idea what the day-to-day differences of those are. Is it different enough that they were kind of confused? There are no kneelers, like the, the little oh, thing yeah. that folds down in the pew. Mm-hmm. And my dad made a comment about it. He was like, huh, I guess we won't be kneeling. So do you not kneel? <laughs> no, you don't. I don't kneel. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that's probably better. Better on your knees. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, there were a couple other things. Like, my priest is a woman. Oh, yeah. That's probably weird for them. Yeah. I mean, she didn't preach. There was a different woman priest who did the homily, and they liked her. So that was neat. Cool. <laughs> All right, so today is the second part of a two-part episode, so if you haven't already listened to Creationism Part 1, go back and listen to that first, because something tells me that this one's going to make a lot more sense if you know all the things that we were talking about in real life mere moments ago, but for you guys a whole week ago. Probably. But just in case no one wants to listen, Shannon, pop quiz, what did you learn last time? Oh god, this was like... (laughs) 45 minutes ago and I'm lost. Uh, Here's what we know. There are two different creation stories. One of them is Priestly. One of them is the more Yahweh one. The Yahweh one involves God doing stuff with his hands. The Priestly one is more organized and sort of planned out. There are some differences that people are still trying to kind of layer on top of each other. And everyone believed that this was how the world was created all the way up until, like, we found fossils And then everyone spent a lot of time trying to justify how fossils could happen, which means that creationism seems to be a lot of people trying to justify things that they don't quite understand. And then Darwin happened, and that's sort of where we are now. Yeah, that kind of sums it up. And then we also talked a little bit about how the majority of mainline Protestants and Catholics and Orthodox Christians all generally fall in line with evolution at this point. Yeah, we've, we've moved into the 21st century. Yeah, so that's where we're going to pick up this time. We're going to talk about the people who have not fallen in line with evolution and who have different beliefs. Creationism. Cool. So this is probably, when you saw the title Creationism, the episode you were expecting. Probably. (laughs) I mean, I think I was interested in the how we got to that point. But yeah, I'm now intrigued to know more about people who still to this day believe 
that creationism is the thing and not evolution. Right. So these people who hold these beliefs tend to be more evangelical Christians. Okay. Part of the reason for this is because most of the major seminaries are going to teach you that evolution is compatible with religion. And a lot of the smaller non-denominational preachers don't have to go to seminary. You can just be a priest. There's not like a governing body that says you have to fulfill these requirements. Okay. And now did any of the major sort of non-evangelical Protestant or Catholic or Orthodox at any point like make a statement about saying, hey, by the way, like we're cool with evolution? Or is that just sort of like a commonly held belief? And so now everyone's just sort of hip with the times. I was looking around for that. The one where I found like uh, this is when we said a thing was the Catholics because they like to make grand statements. 1950 is when we got to a neutral on evolution. We're like, this is probably the thing. And then I think it was a, this is definitely correct, was like 1996. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, it's harder to find specific, this is when we made this declaration for some of the other groups. All right. But generally they're all, even the like higher bodies are like, all right, let this is chill. Yeah. But these non-seminary trained preachers who run evangelical churches, they might have different beliefs. Yeah, and there are some seminaries that will teach creationism, and there's also Bible colleges that are oftentimes going to be more conservative and are going to teach creationism. But it's a biblical literalist view. It tends to align with political conservatism often, but those those are the type of people that are going to subscribe to these beliefs. Okay. There are multiple different beliefs that fall under the category of creationism as a whole. Sure. So I'm going to start with the less strictly literal versions, and we're going to work our way more literal. Awesome. That sounds great. So from the, like, woo-woo to the we're believing every word of the Bible just as it was said. What does woo-woo mean? More like justification. (laughs) We're figuring stuff out. It's, like, less set in stone, a little more nebulous. Okay, yeah. (laughs) From the yeah, okay. You can cut this part, David. (laughs) No, please don't. Please don't cut it, David. (laughs) I don't always have to be the one who looks dumb when I say something ridiculous. That's fine. I have said plenty of ridiculous things on the show. Okay, so where are the less literal but still creationists? What is their deal? They're called day-age creationists. Okay. This theory is the idea that the six days of creation are not literally 24 hours. Specifically, this theory looks at the Hebrew word yam, which means day, but it can also be used to describe a longer period of time. Theologians as far back as Augustine in the 5th century have pointed out that it doesn't make sense for them to be literal days because the sun wasn't even created until the fourth day. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) He makes a good point, that Augustine. (laughs) Yeah, good guy. (laughs) This specific movement didn't really get popular until the mid-19th century, when a Swiss-American geologist, Arnold Henry Gayat, wrote about it. Uh, Again, trying my best. (laughs) This view was also split on how things worked in each of those days. Some people argue for uh, progressive creations, like we talked about last time. Mm -hmm. So individual versions of each plant and animal were created during each day, and then wiped out and created Mm. again. Others argue for theistic evolution within this framework. So when plants were created, they, over the course of this extremely long day, evolved. Okay. 
is the other possibility within this framework. So the days are less literal days and more like eras? Yeah. Okay. So there were six eras of creation. That seems like a thing people could believe. One of the main current believers of this theory is Hugh Ross. Uh, He wrote a book called Creation in Time in 1994, where he defends it in detail. Okay. Um, And he also runs a day-age creationism ministry called Reasons to Believe, which I went to this website. It's a very nice-looking website, but my favorite part was where they talk about their creation model, and they say, We know some of you are not scientists, and you're thinking, You created a creation model like a model airplane? Well, no. Sometimes scientists use the word model to refer to equations. Oh, wow. (laughs) I just found delightful. Yeah, I'm really (laughs) weirdly charmed by this. Uh, Side note, it might be extra funny to me because I'm an engineer. And like, this website isn't for science people like me. Yeah, no, you're officially more science people than the day-age creationists. (laughs) I hope so. So what comes next? Well, I've got one more note about this type of creationism. Uh, William Jennings Bryan, the prosecutor in the Scopes Monkey Trial, was a day-age creationist. Oh, cool. For anyone who doesn't know, the Scopes Monkey Trial was a 1925 court case between the state of Tennessee and John T. Scopes. Scopes was a high school teacher, a science teacher, who was trying to teach evolution, and this was against Tennessee law. Yep. And so it turned into a huge hullabaloo. How can people be coming from monkeys? And uh, my only good Scopes Monkey Trial fun fact is that the lawyer who represented Scopes was Clarence Darrow. Who was that... He was a famous lawyer who then went on to do other famous lawyer things. <laughs> okay, you were looking at me like I should know who that is. There's a street that's honorarily named after him in Chicago. Oh, okay. Again, I only know religion. <laughs> Fair. Well, here I am with your other historical fun fact. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> but, uh... William Jennings Bryan, he said that saying that each day in Genesis was only 24 hours was just a pro-evolution straw man argument. Well, okay then, friend. (laughs) The next type of creationism is gap creationism. What? Gap. Okay, that makes more sense. Like the store, gap. All right. It was hard to tell what word that was there. It was just a lot of owl. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is the idea that the two creation stories are both literal, separate creations And there was a mass extinction and a large gap of time between the two. So what they're trying to say is that God did a, like, very simple and orderly six days, and then he rested, and then there was a mass extinction, and then he was like, let's try this other way, and got all touchy-feely about it? I think so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, didn't like that first one. Apparently that (laughs) one was, I don't know, too clean or orderly, or he realized that he had to make the sun before the plants or something. Something like that. I don't know. Make people first, I guess. Maybe it'll work better this time. See what works. (laughs) So this concept is attributed to the 17th century Dutch-Armenian theologian Simon Episcopus. Don't think that's related to Episcopalians. I don't know. I thought about asking and then didn't. (laughs) I thought you might. I don't think he has anything to do with them. Great. So this became really popular when it was included in the Schofield Reference Bible in 1917. This is a Bible that's annotated by C.I. Schofield, an American Congregationalist minister. It's just an important Bible that was very popular. Cool. This theory, it allows people to account for the age of the earth while still interpreting both stories individually, literally. All right. All right. This makes sense that, like, part of the creation problem 
is that we've now like dated the earth to be older than what could conceivably have been human history based on creationism. Yeah. So it all comes down to how old the earth is. Yeah. And these guys have found a way to be like, the earth is as old as modern science says it is, but also the Bible is true. Right. These ones that we've talked about so far, they fall under the category of old age creationism. So they still think the earth is old. Yes. They generally agree with the idea that the earth was created 4.5 billion years ago. All right. One more fact about gap creationism is a famous person who believed in gap creationism was Oral Roberts. Oh yeah, we talked about him in our Prosperity Gospel episode. We did. He was the guy whose Bible fell open and then he bought a Buick. Oh right! (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So he was a gap creationist. I was wondering, because you mentioned how a lot of evangelicals believe these, and the last time we talked about a mostly evangelical belief was when we talked about Prosperity Gospel. So I don't know if there's any hard facts or anything about where those two overlap, but I suspect there's some overlap there. Yeah, the overlap is... Just it tends to be people taking literal things from the Bible and using them in their world instead of treating the Bible like poetry, like some other people do. Interesting. So both Dage and Gap creationism, they fall into this broader category that it also includes progressive creationism, like we talked about last time. Yep. And depending on who you ask, theistic evolution can also fall into this. Because it is old age. We believe in the length of time that it took. Yeah. And the only other requirement is that you think that God is the one who created everything in one way or another. It just varies on how you think their actual creation happened. But they all come back to God did the thing and all of the things you say are true, but it was God. Yeah. So there's another type of belief that falls into this category and I couldn't find much about it. When people refer to it, they just refer to it as old age creationism. Okay, so there's a more general old age creationism somewhere? Yeah, it's a specific thing, but it doesn't have its own name. It's the idea that God created the earth exactly as it was put out in Genesis, but just did it 4.5 billion years ago. It's not super popular because it's hard to square that with the ages of people in the Bible. Let me ask this question. From Adam and Eve, do we know like how many generations and who begat who and who begat who all the way to Jesus? Sort of. So, like, you could theoretically, like, work backwards. Yeah, and people do. Or if not Jesus, but, like, people who we know were alive around the same time as Jesus, we know were the sons of so-and-so, who are the sons of so-and-so, and and eventually we get to Adam. Yes. We do have a line of people, whether it's true or interpretive, is another question. Well, that's exactly what this whole conversation about creationism is coming down to, isn't it? Is it true or is it interpretive? That's fair. Before we get to young earth creationism, the other broad category, I have one more weird theory that I found. I love it. I want all the weird <laughs> theories. Give them to me all. It's called cosmic creationism. Okay. Is this the weird created by aliens? No. <laughs> I don't think that's a uh, creationist theory. Unless God created the aliens. That could be, yeah. Sure. Okay, but what is it actually? (laughs) Uh, This was suggested by uh, Gerald Schroeder, a Jewish physicist. Okay. He said that the Bible speaks of time from the viewpoint of the universe as a whole, meaning at the moment of quark confinement, when stable matter formed from energy early in the first second of the Big Bang. All right, so this is now God and physics. This is very physics heavy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like thinking at half speed as soon as we get to (laughs) physics. 
So he calculates that a period of six days under the conditions of court confinement, when the universe was approximately a trillion times smaller and hotter than it is today, is equal to 15 billion years of Earth time today. This is due to the space expansion after court confinement. So what he's saying is that if the Big Bang happened, time moved at a different rate, and so conceivably... Six days at the moment of the Big Bang is the same, makes up for all the time that we're missing in trying to date things with creationism? Basically. Wow, that took so much mental power for me to parse. <laughs> so that is the, like, so much science one. That, like... So what this is, is, and on the first day God created science, and on the second day, or on day zero God created physics, and on day one was the Big Bang? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and I don't know if any physicist listened to this. If you could explain what all of that meant to us, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, if you could layman's term cosmic creationism, email it to sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com, please. Like, I follow that, but does that make sense? <laughs> Did I just say anything that is <laughs> rational in any way? <laughs> okay, so... Moving on. New Earth creation. Young Earth. Young Earth. Okay. We had Old Earth, and now we have Young Earth. So this is where we get into more purely literal interpretations of the Bible. This is like, the Earth is 100,000 years old or whatever. Oh, younger. Yeah. We're like, talking like six to 10,000. Wow. Baby Earth. Yeah. Pretty young Earth. All right. So according to this belief, the Earth was created in seven normal 24-hour days less than 10,000 years ago. Wow. So where do we get this age of the Earth? Yeah, where's 10,000 come from? Is this counting backwards from Jesus? Well, luckily, Genesis lists the ages of all the generations in that main Jewish family tree. We start at the beginning with Adam, who was 130 when his son Seth was born, and then Seth was 105 when his son Enosh was born, then Enosh was 90 when Canaan was born, and so on and on and beget, beget, begot. Is there a map? Like, you know how when you read fantasy books, there's usually, like, tables and maps at the beginning? Do they make Bibles with those? Probably. Okay, because, like, I think that would be helpful for, you know, laymen reading the Bible. But also, can we go back to Adam? He didn't have a son until he was 130. (laughs) Guess how long he lived. (laughs) Do I want to know? I mean, I obviously want to know. Just take a stab at it. 225. (laughs) 930. Oh my god! And he didn't even have modern medicine! (laughs) How do we get back to that? (laughs) I don't know. But there's a weird theory that's related to that that I'll get to in a minute. Great. (laughs) Okay, so they did the, like, backwards math. Yes. And that's how they got to less than 10,000? Yeah, so a lot of people did this calculation in the early church using the Greek translation of Hebrew scripture, the Septuagint. But generally... When they used this translation, they got 5500 BCE as Earth birthday. Clement of Alexandria said 5592. Jerome said 5199. The Byzantine calendar traditionally said Earth's birthday was September 1st, 5509. Wow. Why September 1st? Not Why not January 1st? No idea. <laughs> okay, well that's... You're just asking for calendar math to get messy there. (laughs) So another version of the scripture, the Samaritan Torah, led to a date of around 4300 BCE. That makes it even babier Earth. Yeah. Ooh. I finally just, like, did all the, like, 
5,500 plus 2019, like adding all that stuff together. And that's like rural baby. It's pretty baby earth. Um, and it's just difference of translations mm-hmm. give us different numbers. The problem with trying to calculate the exact year is that we don't have a good reference point. We have this line of people, but it doesn't come all the way to modern times. Mm-hmm. So we have this section of relative dates that mm-hmm. we can shift back and forth in time. Yeah. So that's how we get a little bit of the variation. That like 600 year swing or whatever between 49 and 55. Yeah, and this is referred to as floating genealogy because we don't have a fixed date for it as a whole. But no, it's September 1st. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Says that one guy. <laughs> Says that one guy. <laughs> so this problem was solved in the 17th century. Thank God. <laughs> I'm glad we solved uh, all of this in the 17th century. <laughs> this was by Irish Archbishop James Usher. He was able to find a historical event that we know the date of, and he used it as an anchor point. What was the historical event? It was the death of King Nebuchadnezzar in 562 BCE. Oh, so he died in the Bible, so we know he's dead? We know that he died in the second book of Kings. So we were able to sync that date up that we know the historical record of with this time where it falls in the timeline of the Bible. Okay, so it's not like the Bible said and in this year, but like history also says when he died. Non-biblical texts at some point were like, this is the day he died. Right, we can verify it from a separate source. Great. And so from this, he determined that the Earth was created in 4004 BCE. Specifically, Saturday, October 22nd at 6 p.m. What? (laughs) I have no idea how we got that. (laughs) Can we have a party? (laughs) Earth birthday party? Yes. (laughs) That's the day before my birthday. Me and... You and, <laughs> you and the Earth are so close. Oh, me and the Earth are almost birthday buddies, guys. Okay, next year, 2019, <laughs> October, I'm going to make Brian an Earth-shaped birthday cake so we can celebrate <laughs> the birth of the Earth and also the birth of Brian. <laughs> and I'm saying it now on the podcast, so it has to be true. Yeah, everything you guys hear is true. I'm yeah. never wrong. <laughs> also, if we say someone died or someone was born in the Bible, then it's true. That's true. And it's not true otherwise. <laughs> and if this podcast is anything like the Bible, then it only counts if we say they're dead. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about comparing this podcast to the Bible. <laughs> it's a book that talks about religion. <laughs> so, Usher's calculation is the most widely cited for young Earth creationists. People specifically love it because Jesus was born in probably 4 B.C., which is exactly 4,000 years after creation. I see what you did there, Irish Archbishop Usher. I mean, I don't know that he was doing that on purpose, but it, people love it. He lucked out to, like, this weird, like, remainder of four? Yeah. One more estimate that is just weird, and I love it, <laughs> is Harold Campings. He was an American Christian radio host. He's popular from the 60s all the way to his show ended in, like, 2011. Wow. His estimate was that the Earth began in 11,013 BCE. He calculated this by adding the ages of each person in the Genesis genealogy. Can you think of a problem with that? That implies that everyone died the moment their children were born. Uh-huh. <laughs> I read that and, like, giggled for a full minute. That's great. That is that is some justification there. <laughs> so... That one is weird. That one's weird. 
<laughs> I mean, I guess probably closer to being right in that it's a longer period of time, it's but in true. so many ways, so far from being right. <laughs> so wrong, but so right. <laughs> now, here's a question. Are there different sects of young Earth creationists that were the way there are old Earth creationists? Or is it pretty much, if you think the Earth is young, you think the Earth is young? I mean, I think there's probably getting into the minutia of it getting different dates for exactly what the age of the earth is. But once you believe that the Bible is literal, you just sort of believe that the Bible is literal? Yeah, and then where you get a little bit more variation is how you justify your belief when there is the science. Like, what do you believe those fossils are? One belief that a lot of people have, especially in more modern times, is it's called flood geology. Okay. This is the idea that all of the fossils we have are from the Great Flood at the time of Noah. Uh-huh. And they were just all buried in the water then, and that's when all the animals died, and they just all got mixed up, and a lot of the features of the Earth also were created by that huge dramatic event. They really lucked out with that giant biblical flood, didn't they? <laughs> it's a helpful plot device. <laughs> yeah, really, really helpful. Part of this belief that we connect it back to more traditional science beliefs is that God used a miracle to get the flood going, But all of the fossils and the features of the earth that were created were created naturally. So in this way, you're able to reconcile with some areas of geology. Okay. That, I guess, makes sense. Um, Yeah, and uh, George McCready Price was a Canadian creationist who popularized this idea in the early 20th century. He even offered a prize of $1,000 to anyone who could prove to him that one fossil was older than another. They have science for that. I don't know if anyone uh, took him up on that. He probably would find a way to say that that didn't prove anything. Probably. He probably doesn't believe in carbon dating. He was probably very stubborn. I suspect so. (laughs) Another argument that is common is that no one can see evolution happen. People with this viewpoint say that we're just assuming that it occurs based on an incomplete trail of evidence Mm -hmm. that and it's all inferences because i mean yeah you cannot physically see something evolve correct we are not pokemon no (laughs) i'm glad you made that reference i'm here for it (laughs) if we're getting really far out there this is by far not most people there are some people who believe that the great deceiver the devil planted fossils to trick people into doubting god oh wow that's just gives the devil a lot of credit i mean if you're saying that the devil's a fallen angel, probably got some kind of powers. I mean, I guess that's true. But yeah, that tended to be more of an older view. Now mm-hmm. it's the way a lot of people approach creationism is they want to try to root it in some kind of science or at least something that some kind of pseudoscience It appears like science. And that's where you get intelligent design. It sounds more science-y. Yeah. It is... It tries to link back to science. Mm -hmm. Well, it is nice that these people at least have acknowledged that science is a thing that exists in the world. And that they can't just ignore the rationale that science exists. Yeah, but it's also sometimes more dangerous because if something is in pretty clothes and looks like science... That's true, it's easier You're more likely to, to believe it. Yeah, it's easier to, you know, get people to sign on. I was talking before about these long lifespans at the beginning of the Bible. One amazing article I found explained why there are no more dinosaurs. Oh, God. Explains why there's no more dinosaurs and justifies why Adam was 900 years old? No, it doesn't justify why he was 900 years old. It uses that to justify this dinosaur thing. Okay, I'm ready. 
So it said that in the early days of Earth, people lived for a very long time, like Adam lived to be over 900. Reptiles, this one is an actual scientific fact, they keep growing throughout their whole lives. Yes. So, long life means giant lizard. Oh my god! <laughs> or dinosaur. I guess that is that is a thing. If one of those things is true, the other thing could be true. So, dinosaurs are not extinct. They just don't live long enough anymore to grow. Wow. <laughs> Again, this is a fringe belief. <laughs> yeah, but it's an amazing fringe belief. I was so excited to read that. <laughs> that I like a lot. The last thing I want to mention, just because I'm sure a lot of people were thinking about it when I brought up creationism, is the Creation Museum in yeah. Petersburg, Kentucky. It is a 75,000 square foot museum that cost $27 million to build, all raised from private donations. It opened in 2007. It contains a zoo, a planetarium, animatronic dinosaurs, a seven-part history of the Earth exhibit, and another exhibit about Christ's return. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's massive. I've heard about it. Like, that's a thing people, like, trip, go tri- on trips to. Yeah, I want to go. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Can we take a podcast road trip? That'd be incredible. I'm so curious. It's also, it's not the same as the Noah's Ark model. Um, that's 40 miles away in Williamstown, um, but they're owned by like the same people. Okay, so you could take a trip to Kentucky and see both of them, but you have to remember that you have to drive a little ways to get from one to the other. Yeah. And these are both specifically Young Earth creationism attractions. They attract 300,000 visitors a year in 2016 when the Ark Encounter, which is what the the Ark is called, was opened. That jumped to 800,000. Oh my god! Yeah, so, you know. People are interested. Young Earth creationism. Alive and well, I guess. (laughs) That or it's just people like us who are curious. Probably both. I'm thinking it's probably more people who are really into it. (laughs) Yeah, I just really want to believe that's not true, but okay. Good for them. All right. So I'm glad they have their own Disneyland. Yeah. Oh boy. I man, it'd be it would be fun and horrible at the same time. <laughs> it would be a lot, undeniably. All right. Well, on that delightful note, let's take a break. Yep. That is all I have for our two parts on creationism. Awesome. Thanks for sticking with us. And we're back. And it is time for the patronage pop quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they are the patron of. Last week didn't go so hot for me, but it was a really charming and lovely story. So what do you have for us this week, Brian? This week, I have St. Dominic de Guzman. Look, that's a name you can pronounce. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Probably. So hopefully. Someone's going to give me a hard time. <laughs> It'll just be David. Yeah, well, he was born to a wealthy Spanish noble family. So David might be able to give me a hard time because he majored in Spanish. Fun yep. facts about David. We're just full of fun facts about David. <laughs> All right, so after he was born in to a Spanish family, what happens? Uh, he was born in 1170. His mother had difficulty conceiving, so she prayed at the shrine of St. Dominic of Silos. She became pregnant, so she decided to name her son Dominic in his honor. While she was pregnant, she had a vision that her unborn child was a dog who had set the world on fire with a torch in his mouth. Wow, that's a vision. Yeah. A dog with a torch later became the symbol for the order that he founded, the Dominicans. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's who this guy is. I, we got it. <laughs> At Dominic's baptism, his mother saw a 
star shining from his chest, which would later become another symbol for him. His mom had some crazy visions. Oh yeah, lots of visions with this lady. Is she a saint? I believe she is. Cool. But I'm not certain on that one. We'll figure it out some other time. You can surprise me with her. Yeah, maybe she'll make a return appearance. Dominic studied philosophy and theology at the University of Palencia. He became a priest and he worked for clerical reform, and he did a lot of his ministry working among heretics. He founded the Order of Friars Preachers, uh, the Dominicans, in 1215. At one point, Dominic became discouraged at the progress of his mission. No matter how much he worked, the heresies remained, but he received a vision from Our Lady, Mary, who showed him a wreath of roses representing the rosary. She told him to say the rosary daily and teach it to all who would listen, and eventually the true faith would win out. So Dominic is, because of this, often credited with the invention of the rosary, but it actually predates him, though he certainly popularized it. He's also a reported miracle worker who maybe brought four people back from the dead. Ooh, that's a lot of people to bring back from the dead. (laughs) Legend said that Dominic received a vision of a beggar who, like Dominic, would do great things for the faith. Dominic met the beggar the next day. He embraced him and said, You are my companion and must walk with me. If we hold together, no earthly power can withstand us. And that beggar was St. Francis of Assisi. Oh, wow! (laughs) And that is what I have about St. Dominic. So, Shannon, what is Dominic the patron saint of? Oh man, I have so many ideas. And I think I asked this once in a very early episode, but I'm pretty sure that there is not a patron saint of heretics. So that doesn't count. There probably is one. I'll let you know now it's not him. I'm sure it's not. I ruled that one out early. But is he maybe the patron saint of beggars? Or dogs? Please tell me he's the patron saint of dogs. He's not. Oh. I'm sorry. You, wrong vision. The other vision is the one that he's the patron saint of. He's the patron saint of bright lights? He's the patron saint of astronomers. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's the patron saint of astronomers, astronomy, falsely accused people, and scientists. I picked him because I felt like we needed a scientist in this show. I like it. I think that totally checks out. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening today. Our awesome theme song is by Adam Griffin. You can check out his website at alteringgravity.wordpress.com. Editing and logo by David Griffin. Neither of them are our favorite Griffin because their mother, Karen, is absolutely our favorite member of the Griffin family. Shout out to Karen. Thank you for your very sweet email. Hi, Karen. (laughs) Hi, Karen. You get a shout out on the show now, too. (laughs) Brian, any other special thanks? Uh, That's it. Awesome. Well, in that case, amen? Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod.